I want to take a second to remind you to sign up for the Poso Daily Brief. It is completely free. It'll be one email that's sent to you every day. You can stop the endless scrolling trying to find out what's going on in your world. We will have this delivered directly to you totally for free. Go to humanevents.com slash Poso. Sign up today. It's called the Poso Daily Brief. Read what I read for show prep. You will not regret it. Humanevents.com slash Poso. Totally free. The Poso Daily Brief. in a fifth generational conflict. A commentator, international social media sensation, and former Navy intelligence veteran. This is Human Events with your host, Jack Posobiec. Deliver us from The BRICS summit is going on right now. This is the Belt and Road Initiative. This is the rise of the multipolar world. Everyone is there except for Joe Biden and American powers. The rise of the BRICS nations is at this point a certainty. And Joe Biden's out there saying, oh, we can fight two wars at the same time. For God's sake. The most powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. For God's sake. That's exactly what the Roman Empire said right before the collapse. America is overextended, America is overstretched, and while America has been sending munitions and ammo and intelligence and focus to Ukraine, we are now embarking on a new proxy war in the Middle East. It will be the end of Rome. The end of Rome? How does an empire die? Does it collapse in one terrible moment? No. No. But there comes a time when its people no longer believe in it. Then, then does an empire begin to die. You've got potentially 25,000 American troops right there in harm's way. Two carrier battle groups. 2,000 troops on the ground, 25,000 in total. Remember, those aircraft carriers sitting ducks, thanks to new technology, sitting ducks. The other missile, the DF-21D, has been described as the world's first anti-ship ballistic missile or carrier killer. You get one below the waterline on an aircraft carrier, you get a big one below the waterline, 5,000 sailors. 5,000 sailors each, not to mention two nuclear generators. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the consequences of an American aircraft carrier lying at the bottom of the Mediterranean, lying at the bottom of the Black Sea, lying at the bottom of the Taiwan Strait? Because buckle up, folks. That is the scenario that Joe Biden is marching us straight towards. We're the United States of America, for God's sake. It is Mearsheimer's warning exactly what he told us would come if the United States continued this disastrous blinken Newland policy, hyper-escalation. Hyper-escalation will come, and now hyper-escalation is here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily here live, Washington, D.C. Jack Posobiec, today is October 19th, 2023, Anno Domini. Look, folks, I got two words for you. Stay frosty. Stay frosty. I'm staying frosty. Are you staying frosty out there? Come on, guys. Tell me you're staying frosty. Look, we have a president who's going to give an address about Israel and Ukraine. 
We all know the speech. Of course, he doesn't know because he hasn't read it yet. He hasn't thought of it because he can't think of anything in his brain. And it hasn't been written for him yet. But you know exactly what's going to come. They've been seeding this narrative all week. He's going to allocate resources. You say your taxpayer dollars, our taxpayer dollars, to continue the war in Ukraine. And then commence commitment to a new war alongside Israel that he's going to talk about sending our sons, our daughters, to the front lines. And once again, it's the paramount importance. Two carrier battle groups that we've already got there that Vladimir Putin has pointed out are already within range of Russia's hypersonic missiles. And he's going to talk about the atrocities, but make no mistake, this is the same administration that fumbled the Afghanistan withdrawal. This is the same administration that fumbled the Ukraine counteroffensive. And it's the same administration that is sending all of us straight into the jaws of World War III. You want Mearsheimer's warning? This is Mearsheimer's warning on steroids. Because Mearsheimer was only warning about great power war. Now you've got terrorist groups, you've got non-state actors, and what's Biden doing? He's decided that he's going to pick fights with all of them at the same time, even while he's going and funding groups that end up transferring money to places like Hamas, to places like Hezbollah, and others. You see what Biden's doing, folks, is he's funding both sides of the war. Well, stay tuned because we've got the managing director of antiwar.com, the great Scott Horton, is going to be joining us today for almost the entire show. And I want to go through this chapter and verse, not just the origin of this conflict, but how the best way to get out of it for everyone is. Stay tuned. Human Events Daily continues. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best ways that you can support us here at Human Events and the work that we do is subscribing to us on our Rumble channel. Make sure you're subscribed, you hit the notifications so you'll never miss a clip, you'll never miss a new live episode, and we're putting them out every single day of the week. When I grew up in the hood, I rolled with bloods, and then boys had a saying. You can't be listening to all that slappy whack, trimatazalitzabam ship, nippy bam bam, like human events with Jack Posobiec. All right, Jack Posobiec back here live, Washington, D.C. On this auspicious day, President Biden about to give his address to the nation, this joint address from the Oval Office on not just the war, but the wars, because apparently the United States has decided to embark in two wars at the same time in two different uh, AORs, two different areas of responsibility around the world, not, not too far from each other, but at the same time, two major wars. Folks, are you reading the headlines? International threats, corruption here at home. When is this gonna end? You see, the trouble is it might end in danger. And when the future is unstable, understand that access to food can be limited and you have to secure your own supply. Thanks to My Patriot Supply, you can. My Patriot Supply is the largest preparedness company in the country, and they are dropping the price again on their top-selling three-month emergency food kit. 
Get a delicious variety of breakfast, lunches, and dinners, and more for $200 off. These meals offer over 2,000 calories a day. To prepare them, just add water and heat, then buy in bulk and pass the savings on to you. Visit preparewithposo.com to save $200 on your food security. And if you order by 3 p.m. today, you get same-day shipping. That's preparewithposo.com. Recently got to spend some time out there with, um, uh, with Keith, with Joe, out of the My Patriot Supply facility in Salt Lake City. Of course, you guys know we're giving away the riot tank. The riot, street legal riot tank can be yours if you go to My Patriot Supply or go to preparewithposo.com right now. You can sign up for this thing. Who knows what's coming, but if you want to be ready, and we'll talk, we've got some more footage from the facility that we haven't even released yet. It's, it's incredible. I have no idea that these guys were this week. Two football fields long. Joe, Keith, the entire team there. We had a great day. They even let Tanya Tay drive the riot tank. Can you believe me? These guys are that prepared. They're prepared for everything. <clears throat> Our next guest is the director of the Libertarian Institute, the editorial director of antiwar.com, the host of Antiwar Radio. He's done over 5,900 interviews since 2003. He's the author of multiple books, including Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, and is working on the forthcoming book, which I cannot wait to read, Provoked, How Washington Started the New Cold War with Russia and the Catastrophe in Ukraine. His name is Scott Horton, and he joins us now. Scott, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Thank you very much, Jack, for having me. So, Scott, how did how did we get here? By the way, I'd love to talk to you about the, the Russia book, but unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about just the Russia situation because we've embarked on another situation, even while we're in the midst of a current proxy war with Russia. I've been talking about John Mearsheimer, the great Professor Mearsheimer, and his warning of the U.S. attempting to overextend itself into multiple world conflicts at the same time. And now here we are. President Joe Biden is just hours away from delivering an address to the entire nation on not only how we can, but why we should be embarked in two major world conflicts at the same time. How did we get here and what are the forces driving this? Well, look, it's a it's a huge and great question. I would refer first and foremost, really, to one of the greatest experts on all of this uh, from the way you frame it there. It's Pat Buchanan from the 1990s who ran for president. He was Ronald Reagan, first Nixon, and then Ronald Reagan's speechwriter, and uh, CNN and then MSNBC host. And he ran against Bush Sr. in the primaries in 1992, and then later switched to the Reform Party. And he wrote this incredible book called The Republic, Not an Empire. And Jack, basically at the end of the Cold War, 30 years ago, the Soviet Union ceased to exist on Christmas Day, 1991 was the final day. And at that point, there is a major section of the conservative and libertarian movement, especially, that said the Cold War is over, the emergency is over, world communism is dead, now it's time to end our empire and bring our troops home from around the world and let Europe and Asia take care of their own security needs. As um, Ronald Reagan's ambassador to the UN, Jean Kirkpatrick, who was herself a neoconservative hawk, she said, oh, well, now we can be a normal country in a normal time. She said, now we can shed the burdens of superpower status and, and seek to preserve our own liberty in our own society here at home. And instead, the national security establishment refused, Jack, to just get a real job 
And they found reasons to expand America's footprint in the Middle East, of course, with Iraq War One, and then, you know, the rest of the Bill Clinton doctrine, Iraq War One and a half through the 1990s. And, of course, NATO expansion in Eastern Europe and also a buildup in Asia as well. But leave that aside for now. And guess what? It's no coincidence at all, and it's no conspiracy either. There's books about it, New York Times articles all about it. It was Bruce Jackson, an executive vice president from Lockheed Martin Marietta, who founded the Committee for NATO Expansion and the Committee for the Liberation of Iraq. And this is just basic economics. This is just basic rent-seeking by government contractors. It doesn't matter whether it's you know the military or any other government program. They would rather get paid with tax money than have to compete in the marketplace. And that was exactly what happened was and and not just them, but the national security bureaucracies themselves, of course, the generals and all the spies at CIA and at the National Security Agency and all these guys. No one wants to give up their fiefdom. If our base is not for containing the Soviet Union, then maybe it's for interdicting drugs or maybe it's for threatening Iran or maybe it's for providing security from some pipeline we're building to cut the Russians out of the Caspian Sea or some other project, anything but coming home. And so what they did was they got us into the terror war and then they fought it for 20 years and don't have a single thing to show for it. And they, of course, started and built up this massive new Cold War with Russia, which has now expressed itself in this horrific war in Ukraine for the last year and a half that, as we all know, could also spiral out of control into major power conflict. And so, you know, you can stop me at any time. But, you know, I think one thing I'd like to point out here is you can see the bust of Ron Paul behind me there on the shelf. And I hope probably most of your audience remembers in the Republican primary in 2007, Well, hopefully there's young people who don't remember. In the Republican primary in 2007, Ron Paul got into a tangle with Rudy Giuliani in the debate. It was in May. And what happened was they fought over the cause of the September 11th attack. And Ron Paul said that, look, this was blowback from American foreign policy. And Rudy Giuliani said, oh, how dare you? You're saying America deserved it. You're crazy. And I don't know. I demand you retract that or some ridiculous bullying non sequitur statement. And Ron Paul said, no, the CIA coined the term blowback. It means the long term consequences of their foreign policies, their secret policies. And even look, as we all know, America had been bombing Iraq from bases in Saudi Arabia for 10 years before September 11th. And that was why they attacked us. And further, he said quite correctly that the reason they attacked us was actually to draw us in further. And that's why they're glad we're in a sand pit in Iraq right now where they can bleed us to bankruptcy. Our guys are within rifle range. They can take their revenge and give us our own Vietnam like we did to the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the 80s. And this was just 100% correct. And Rudy Giuliani didn't know what to say, but millions of Americans said, you know, that's right. I remember Bill Clinton bombing Iraq on, according to the New York Times, every other day on average for eight years straight. 
from bases in Saudi Arabia. And I remember actually a little bit of Newsweek from 96 and 98 when they bombed the Kobar Towers, which Clinton blamed on Iran, by the way. And when they bombed the USS Cole and the African embassies that, yeah, this bin Laden guys out to get us. That was going on before September 11th. And it was American foreign policies that had created it. It wasn't radical Islam. It was radical politics. You know, you look at, in fact, all of the millions of people who believe in Salafism and Wahhabism and the most radical sects of Sunni Islam, they don't all attack us. They don't all join up ISIS, even at the height of the Islamic State. They had, what, a couple of hundred thousand fighters out of 1.5 billion people. It was bin Laden and his particular group, him and his alliance with Egyptian Islamic Jihad that had this political ideology. And we want to take on the American empire first so we can have our local revolutions later. And I don't want to say Bush fell for it in a way that acquits him and says that, oh, he was just a big dummy. Because in fact, the purpose of the September 11th attack was to give Bush a crisis to exploit. And Jack, I don't know if you've ever read this, but bin Laden's son, Omar, gave a interview to Rolling Stone magazine in 2010. And he said, I was in Afghanistan in the year 2000. And when Bush was elected, he said, my father was so happy. This is a president who will attack and who will spend money and break the country. In other words, the big fake macho cowboy hat wearing, you know, pampered, not really tough guy from Connecticut is going to, with Mark with written all over his forehead, he's going to exploit this cynically. And and then that was the goal. The same thing, the same reasons the big new Brzezinski and the Carter administration tried to lure the Soviet Union into Afghanistan was the same thing. Bin Which, Laden and by was the way, not to, not to, not to run you over, but, but also sure. those are inextricably linked because it was the same foreign policy establishment that worked to build up the Mujahideen in that war, which later, and you had a lot of these Wahhabists that, of course, the Saudis had already kicked them out. The bin Laden, these guys said, we don't want anything to do. They worked with them at first and they kicked them out uh, and said, we don't want anything to do with you. Then uh, then they eventually had set up shop in, in Sudan and some other places, essentially took over Sudan. And then Afghanistan comes over and the Taliban gets picked up and they say, oh, we're going to we're going to go over here now. So you have it's 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 still these remnants of the last war that the United States had gotten involved in. Said, oh, this would be a great idea. Let's build up this proxy force against our enemies. It'll be so great. What's the worst that could happen? And then all of a sudden, that group that we just decided to forget about because we moved on to the next shiny object comes back to smack us in the face. And our answer isn't to uh, to look and figure out what happened. No, no. Our answer is to double down and continue the exact same policies. This is a barn burner of an interview. Everyone needs to stay tuned. Scott Horton, the great Scott Horton, continues with us. You talk about influencers. These are influencers, and uh, they're friends of mine. Jack Rusovic. Where's Jack? Jack. He's done a great job. All right, Jack Rusovic, back live. Human Events Daily, Washington, D.C. We are live. I had a question for you guys. Have you ever talked with a friend, and then just like a couple of minutes later, uh, you had ads that popped up on your phone that related to that exact conversation? Because that happens to me all the time. I call it ad popping. Uh, do you feel like Big Brother is watching? Or worse, like every move you make is being tracked? Sadly, in our digital age, that's not paranoia. Between criminals, government, and corporate America, it feels like personal freedom and privacy is compromised 24-7. That's where silent steps 
in. Silent's not just a brand. It's a statement for liberty and against surveillance. And what Silent has is patented signal blocking Faraday cages, excuse me, bags, sleeves, even backpacks that are suitable for every device from your smartphones to your laptops. By placing your device inside, you instantly block all far, uh, wireless signals, ensuring that you're safeguarded from digital eavesdropping and unwarranted tracking. Reclaim your privacy today at slnt.com poso to save 15% plus free shipping on qualifying orders. I have to have my privacy and security protected at all times, and so should you. Act now, patriots. Go to slnt.com slash poso to save 15% plus free shipping on all qualifying orders. That's slnt.com slash poso. They are today's episode sponsor. I want to get back to it with Scott Horton. Scott, you, where we left off, we were, we were just kind of walking up to, I guess, basically the origin story of 9-11 because for so many people... You know, they wake up one Tuesday in September and all of this horror and this night, these nightmarish images are going on over the screens. I remember I was in high school at the time. I had no clue what was going on. But I will tell you this, that, um, and, you know, you know, people try to fact check me on it, whatever. I can't back it up. But I had heard of Osama bin Laden at the time. I remember hearing about this guy. I remember hearing about this group, um, seeing the ABC interview and wondering, you know, what, what's going on with all this Middle East stuff? Why are we so involved over there? And I wonder if this is one of those guys, because I remember he said he was going to attack the United States. And then it turns out that it, that it was him. But it also turns out that his group was a group that the United States government themselves had been funding and supporting all the way through the Afghanistan war. And there's that sort of, there's that sort of, it's, it's a meme, but people, uh, people took this of the um, of Rocky three, where it said this, you know, they changed the, the, um, they changed the memorial and said, this film is dedicated to the brave Mahajin fighters of Afghanistan. Whoops. Mm. It's not real folks. I know, but it's a very, very prescient meme. If you understand that in that film, excuse me, not Rocky three, Rambo three, um, that in, in Rambo three, he's essentially fighting with the group that goes on to form the Taliban and then form Al Qaeda. But, but Scott, this isn't the first time U.S. intelligence services, and certainly not the last time U.S. intelligence services have worked with groups like this, is it? Mm. No, I mean, and this is the thing about it. Like, so just for people, I'll try to do the very fast version of this, right? So Carter and Brzezinski have this brilliant plan. They're going to lure the Soviet Union into Afghanistan because since Vietnam was such a wreck for us, we'll give them one of those, Never mind what it did to the people of Vietnam, of course. Um, and, the, and the people of Afghanistan were thought to be expendable. If, we, if the people of America have the Vietnam syndrome, they don't want to contain communism anymore. Well, how about we bait them into overexpansion? We'll give them this headache. And they did that. And it wasn't just the local Afghans who fought, of course, none of whom are Arabs. The, there's a, an entire Persia between Afghanistan and the Arabs, everybody. It was, but a bunch of Arabs came, and not just that, but Muslims from all over the world, including the United States and Chechnya and Indonesia. And got Pashtuns, and got Uzbeks. Yes, of course. Right. Right. So they all came to fight. Then when the war was over at the end of the 80s, the Soviet Union fell apart. Partially because of that. And the Americans take credit for that. The Reaganites take credit, which is partially true, that the war in Afghanistan, the headache America helped give them there, helped break the back of the Soviet Union. Well, the Mujahideen had learned the same lesson, including this Arab-Afghan army. And so they realized that they had the power uh, to break an empire if they fought them hard enough. And now here's the real game. You know what? Let me remind you of something that Vladimir Putin said on the eve of war. 
he was saying something he knew was going to sound like a conspiracy theory. So instead, he spun it the other way, quite correctly, in fact. He said, come on, let's be adults about this. We know what you and Britain were doing in Chechnya, backing the terrorists against us there. Well, that was true. And that sounds wow. like crazy conspiracy stuff, but it's not. And I got the footnotes in the last book enough already, and I got entire sections on it in from the Clinton years in my new book. And this led, that, that was the Moscow theater attack, the Beslan school attack. That's and right. Horrific, horrific uh, atrocities that were perpetuated to just innocent people in these cases. Yep. And the American CIA, the, or the American, if, if you catch me saying the Americans, I mean our national government, they are too clever by half all the time. And they back these guys in Bosnia and in Kosovo, as well as in Chechnya. And in fact, even in August of 01, when, um, you know, a month before the attack, it was the last stand of the KLA in their uh, invasion of Macedonia. And they had been trained and armed by our Delta Force to do this. And this is even during W. Bush. And in fact, a, a reporter friend of mine named Eric Margulies, he witnessed essentially the Pakistani ISI slash Taliban training Uyghurs under American supervision in Afghanistan in the summer of 2001 for use against the Chinese. So this is the kind of game that they're playing. Now, while this is happening, I'm not a truther. Don't please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the CIA had bin Laden attack us. But what happened was essentially they sort of had had convinced themselves that these guys are harmless. What are they going to do? And in fact, this is from the Weekly Standard of all places that um, right after September 11th, they said, that the cliche at the Pentagon on the joint staff, they would say terrorism is a small price to pay for being a superpower. In other words, we can use these guys against our Serb enemies. We can use them against the Russians. We can do whatever we want. But what are they going to do to us? Set up a truck bomb here or there, fail to sink a battleship, right? That was the way they looked at it. And then... Well, and you're course, talking about the same, the same here, type of people that in the past... Uh, we're talking Operation Mockingbird. A lot of people know about Operation Paperclip, where, where we said, hey, you know, who cares if these guys were Nazi officers? They can get us to the moon, so let's bring them over. Um, talking about Operation Gladio, where the U.S. worked with these groups to, to essentially plan terrorist attacks in Europe to blame on the Soviet Union. And then Operation Northwoods, which, of course, very clear, it was not executed, but Operation Northwoods was a CIA plan to conduct actual terrorist attacks in Florida and other parts of, um, of Miami and then blame it on the government of Cuba. So this idea of the use of terrorism has always been very, very tantalizing to the U.S. intel community, even from the very start. Fred, so. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's the history of the world. And people can read my book, and it's endorsed by Douglas McGregor, everybody's favorite right-wing colonel from the Tucker Carlson show, and um, you know a bunch of other CIA spies and Army veterans, people who've been to the terror wars and back. Um, I'm obviously not spinning for bin Laden or justifying what he did, but I'm explaining. Why would a guy like that slaughter thousands of Americans? Well, it's because he was trying to get us to react and do something crazy. And here's the thing. Flight 77, those hijackers had fought for Bill Clinton in Bosnia. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was the main organizer of the attack for bin Laden, he had fought for Bill Clinton in Bosnia. Um, and 
some of these other guys, they're recruiters, the guys who were recruited in Hamburg, um, Mohammed Atta and Ramsey bin Al-Sheib and their group, they were recruited by a guy who had these, they were essentially too young to have fought in Afghanistan in the 80s, but they got to fight their Afghanistan in Bosnia in the 90s. And this is how they, quote, earn their stripes to become al-Qaeda terrorists, to get the job to attack us on September 11th. Now here's where it gets messier. Mohammed Atta, who you see top left there in your picture, him and Ramsey Ben Alshi. There's a great book about this, Jack, called Perfect Soldiers by a reporter named Terry McDermott. Solid book about these guys. And what happened was in 1996, after an Israeli settler assassinated Shimon Peret, I mean, pardon me, uh, Yitzhak Rabin, the prime minister of Israel, his successor, Shimon Perez, launched a war, a new attack in southern Lebanon. Um, against the Palestinians there called Operation Grapes of Wrath. And they bombed a UN shelter. It's now called the first Kana massacre because it happened again in 06, 10 years later. But in 96, they bombed a UN shelter and they killed 106 women and children. And just when they launched the war, in fact, before that, was when Mohammed Atta and Ramzi bin al-Sheib signed their last will and testament, which was like joining the army, basically dedicating themselves to the cause and finding, eventually finding their way to Afghanistan to meet bin Laden. Um, and then when uh, the grapes of the, uh, the bombing of that shelter, bin Laden mentioned that in his first declaration of war. Get this, it's called Declaration of War Against the Americans Occupying the Land of the Two Holy Places. Pretty subtle, huh? Anyway, and he goes on and on in there about the Khan of what, what are, what are the two holy places? Well, Mecca and Medina, the birthplace of Islam, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, where America has, who are white Christian combat forces occupying this territory in order to wage the no-fly zone bombing campaign and the blockade against the people of Iraq in the aftermath of Iraq War One, which lasted all through the Clinton years, right? This is, operation, this is the beginning of Operation Desert Shield is what it's originally called. That's right. From 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 Desert Shield 1990 all the way through, including the war. And ever since then, it remained. Um, and, you know, we could t there's a, a great tangent here. I won't take for time, but um, it's got about a minute to break. OK, so um, bin Laden complained about what Israel was doing in Palestine. So these Egyptian graduate students studying in Hamburg, Germany, joined some Saudis and Egyptian terrorists to kill Americans in revenge for what Israel was doing in Lebanon. Now, that sounds very crazy and confusing to your mom and your cousin who don't know about this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, Jack, that America backs everything that Israel does. And that means when they're being a nice little Jewish boy and minding their own business. And it also means when they're committing absolute horrible atrocities against innocent men, women, and children in Palestine and at that time in Lebanon as well. And this was the motive for the guys that knocked our towers down. So this comes back to Pat Buchanan and Republic, not an empire. Is it in America's interest to be the policeman of the world, to take responsibility? for every conflict in the world because stop buzzing in my ear about the boring people at your office i'm trying to listen to the new human events with jack posobic all right we're back human events daily jack posobic live washington dc i want to tell you about today's episode sponsor chalk chalk c-h-o-q this is the one supplement on the market 
that boosts strength and testosterone in ways that hasn't been seen since 2016. It boosts your energy, balances your hormones, it's organic, and it's all natural. You will feel the difference, trust me. And they have the clinical studies to back it up. Watching human events is going to strengthen your mind. Chalk is going to help you strengthen your body. Chalk has been on my radar since they had their Instagram deleted for speaking out against communist censorship. And if you're looking to improve your energy levels, Chalk should be on your radar too. Right now, you could try the male vitality stack for up to 35% off. Go to chalk.com, spelled C-H-O-Q, and you know the promo code, promo code POSO, for 35% off any Chalk subscription for life. Chalk is manufactured in the U.S. by Real American Patriots, so you can reclaim your energy and vitality from the deep state, the globalist, the big pharma commies today. That's chalk.com, C-H-O-Q.com, promo code POSO. All right, I want to bring back in here with Scott Horton. So, Scott, you, we're, you've been giving us this master's level, 301 level, I would say, analysis of the the rise of you know, we say it's it's all because of radical Islamic terrorism, but your point is exactly right. There's lots of radicals. There's radicals all over, not just in Islam, but in other ideologies. Why do these groups always seem to be the ones that that uh, that have the ability to attack the homeland? Well, and it turns out that they have they've had a lot of assistance from groups within the homeland to be able to do so. Let's zoom in a little closer, though, here and bring things up to the present day, because so everybody wakes up on October 7th. We see these crazy images out of southern Israel, this this southern farming village just slaughtered people, kids, the whole nine yards. It's it's an absolute mess. And for a lot of people, you know, I, I for some people, it may have been the very first time they heard of Hamas. For other people, they may have had a general understanding that Hamas is this sort of anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian uh, group over there. But but how did Hamas become so powerful, and how did we get to the point where it seems that as though not only were they powerful, but the IDF didn't seem to have their eye on the ball? Yeah, man, it is such a complicated mess over there, and you know I won't necessarily have to leave some things out. Yeah, yeah, Scott, narrative. just break it down for That's us fine. in five minutes. Come on, it's so easy. I'm trying to be, I'll try to be fair, <laughs> but let me let me say as a bit of a disclaimer because I know people get very upset about this, and and people like to really presume other people's point of view, maybe. But I'll just tell you, I have an extended family member of mine who was murdered by Hamas in this thing, Jack. And it's not someone that I know, but she was a peace activist there. And I know some people on the right would say, aha, well, that makes her a sucker or whatever. But no, I think that means that if she had had her way, there would have been a settlement. We'd have figured this out a long time ago, and she would not have been in danger there at all. And so, um, but I by no means you know, take Hamas's side or spin for them or downplay the level of their atrocity here. In fact, I emphasize the level of their atrocity because just like with our war on terrorism, we have to understand this is an asymmetric war by a group that essentially has no power, right? They have AK-47s and shoes and they're up against essentially a, a superpower. And some right? M4s, by the way. <laughs> Pardon me? And some M4s recently. Oh, yeah. And some M4s. Not sure which black market they got those from. Funny how that, funny how so, that works. <laughs> yeah. But look, I mean, this is basically, you know, an Indian tribe up against the Union Army here. Right. So how do they get what they want? And the answer is the action is in the reaction. Saul Alinsky said that, although I learned it from a Bircher. I'm not a communist. Um, John, uh, the great William Norman Gregg uh, taught me that. And 
he was studying, you know, the the politics of communist terrorism in the past. And as Alinsky said, and he wasn't talking about terrorism, Alinsky, he was just talking about, you know, kind of political grassroots, you know, community organizing, I guess. But he was saying the action is in the reaction of the opposition. And it's the same thing applies here. As bin Laden was trying to get us to fully invade the Middle East, as Ron Paul said, in order to drive ourselves to total bankruptcy and withdraw finally the hard way. In this case, Hamas was trying to provoke exactly the war that you see on your screen right there. This horrific bombing campaign that's already killed thousands of civilians by, you know, this campaign by the Israelis in retaliation. Hamas, Jack, was trying to provoke that. Just as bin Laden was trying to provoke America to bomb and invade Afghanistan. Um, the idea being that in the long run, this will work out more positively for them because not just Israel's reaction, but then all the counter reactions to Israel's reaction. So now the question is whether Hezbollah is going to get involved. What about all those Shiite militias in Iraq who George W. Bush fought all of Iraq War II to install Iran's best friends in power there in the in the national government and in all those auxiliary militias that support it? Um, and then I don't know if you saw this, but well, uh, it was just some think tank weenie from CSIS said this, but he's exactly right. It was in reaction to what turns out to be the false story of Israel uh, striking the hospital the other night, that the protest movements were incredible immediately. And not only that, but apparently the governments of Egypt, Jordan, Saudi and UAE, these are the biggest, most powerful Sunni Arab states that are friendly with Israel. They all called Israel and demanded that they not invade. And I don't know whether that's going to stick or not. Clearly, the invasion's been delayed. But they are already reacting. And part of the reasoning, according to this think tank weenie, which makes perfect sense, was because if if the war gets that much worse and these sock puppet Sunni kings have to stay quiet in the face of that much worse of a war, then they cede the whole field to the Ayatollah Khamenei in Iran and his puppets in Iraq, Syria, and, or allies at least, in Iraq, Syria, and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. And that makes our Sunni sock puppet kings look like total clowns and discredits them and empowers their enemies, Israel's enemies too, the so-called Shiite alliance. So in other words, Hamas, these scum, these murderer terrorists, by slaughtering these innocent people, have played a brilliant game of chess here. And they've got pieces all over the Middle East moving. Oh, careful, careful. You know, you get in trouble if you say... Uh, you, you get in trouble these days if you people if you say a terrorist did something smart. You know, the President Trump said the same thing the other day. I saw and, that. And people were attacking him, saying he was saying, Jack, he was saying so don't underestimate your opponent. That's he was saying right. don't what underestimate saying? these people. Trump was saying in that statement, he was saying this same is a formidable enemy, period. That yes. was all he was saying. And they go, oh, you love them so much. Give me a break, right. man. You know, look, let's. Just pretend, everybody, people listening right now who just hate me, I guess I'm a commie and a Hamas lover and whatever. Just pretend that me and Jack are at the war college and this is the red team, okay? We have to pretend to look at the other side for a minute, guys. Grow up, deep breath, take a drink of water. There's another Stay frosty. Stay you frosty. I'm sorry? Stay frosty. That's been our that's been our call word of this. Our call sign of the week that's is stay right. frosty. We're staying frosty that's, around here. Scott, are you frosty? I'm staying frosty. 
That's right. Look at this. We, you got to be, this is a math problem, okay? Forget, um, you know, um, normative. This is descriptive. We're trying to understand exactly what's going on here and what to do about it, right? And, and you have to understand, and people don't understand. I know they don't understand. So let me say, and I know time is short here, that it oh, sounds when we talk about the Israelis and the Palestinians— like the Palestinians already have their own country because, of course, everybody has their own country. That's you say Palestinian and you look at the map and you see Gaza and the West Bank. I don't know. But let me tell you something. It's not. And Ben Shapiro will tell you. And I don't know about this round. I haven't paid any attention, but I know in years previous he makes the analogy and says, what will we do if the Mexicans i.e. the national government of Mexico and its military force, were firing rockets at us. But that analogy is not apt. The analogy is these are Indians on the reservation. The Israelis already conquered them, beat them, licked them, whooped them back in 1967. Okay, even before that, really. But ever since 67, all of Gaza and all of the West Bank has been under the control, de facto annexed by Israel. So what you're seeing here is not an invasion across a border, as Shapiro would falsely lead you to believe. What you're seeing is essentially a prison riot, like Attica uprising. Mm. Or imagine if out West, Jack, there were some Indians, I won't pick on any tribe, and I don't mean to cause any trouble here. It's just an analogy. But imagine some Indians left the res and Scott, went Scott, we, we are coming up on kids. a break. Here's what, I, here's what I'd like to do. I, w- I would like to give you the chance to finish your to finish your thought, to come up on the other side of this. I don't want you to be cut off. Can you do us a favor? Can you stay for one more break? We let you finish Absolutely. your thought. Give everyone your coordinates. Of course, we told everybody, antiwar.com, uh, scotthorton.com, or scotthorton.org, I think. And but just stay tuned, everybody, because we're going to let Scott finish his thought. I don't like cutting off people. We're going to do that. I'm always listening to human events with Jack Posobiec. All right, Jack Posobiec back here. Human events daily where we left uh, Scott Horton. You got cut off by our obscene profit break, but that's okay. You're a libertarian. I understand you people are good with with profit and and, uh, people making money. By the way, you know, I didn't I didn't get a chance to say this. I don't think I even mentioned it to you as we were corresponding offline a little bit. But um, just got to give huge shout out to one of your, um, I guess, former colleagues at uh, anti-war because one of the reporting, what a piece of reporting that I did in early 2017 was this report on a fundraiser that I dug up this thing that Adam Schiff was doing with the Ukrainian arms dealer. And actually, Justin Raimondo covered that in a column way back at the time. Of course, Justin's no longer with us. But for me, you know, kind of just getting started in this whole game, it was a huge boost. So I always thought it was uh, it was an honor to appear in at least one Justin Raimondo column. Oh, guys, I think Justin, we just lost. Our- there we go. It's back. Sorry, Justin. Oh, sorry, uh, Scott. We lost you for a second there. Just start. Go ahead and oh. start over. We have you now. I was like, I'm taking a note because I thought I had read every Justin Russia column on that old site in my research for my book, but I'm going to have to go back and find that and make sure yeah, I have Adam it. Schiff, Ukraine, a taste of Ukraine. So this guy, he had, um, <laughs> his name is Igor Pasternak. He's got U.S. and uh-huh. Ukrainian, of course, dual national, U.S. Ukraine. And he'd been, so he'd been hosting a fundraiser for Adam Schiff. 
all the way back in 2017, which is interesting because I was told the Ukraine war took, you know, started in 2022 when Russia invaded. Oh. I didn't think anything actually happened before oh, 2022. I mean, you know, worse is, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that publicly as a, sure. as a thank you to, you know, to anti-war and everything you guys did, because, you know, he may have not even realized it at the time, but it definitely yeah. was, was very helpful to, you know, establishing that, I, hey, I'm just not just some guy who's, uh, you know, posting junk on the internet that I'm actually trying to do That's something great. out here. That, that's absolutely great. And listen, uh, he may be long gone, but I really urge people spend a rainy Sunday reading Justin Ramondo's articles, that archive, 20 years from 99 through 19 there at antiwar.com. This is the best stuff. And he wrote a book called Reclaiming the American Right, the Lost Legacy of the Conservative Movement, where he talks about the real right before the neoconservative ex-commies came and ruined everything and turned it into the war party. And I know that your audience will just love that. It's Justin Raimondo, just like uh, the bureaucrat up there of whatever her name is, Gina something. Anyway, um, so look, where we left off there, to wrap that up real quick, I was accusing... Uh, ben Shapiro of using an inapt analogy in comparing the the terrorists murderers of Hamas of the Gaza Strip of essentially being a national government's military attacking across an international border. And I'm saying, no, they're more like Indians on the reservation. And I think that's very important that people understand. Again, it doesn't justify what they did. I just call them murderers. They're murderers. And but the thing is about responsibility is it's a quality, not a quantity. So the individual men who committed that atrocity are responsible. Their commanders are responsible. And the ben ne Benjamin Netanyahu government that's been in power longer than any other prime minister in Israeli history is also obviously, uh, incontrovertibly responsible for this entire set of circumstances in which this played out as well. Um, but listen, if out west, Jack, a bunch of Indians left the res and went and scalped a bunch of innocent men, women and children and murdered them in, you know, Anglos in town. They would be criminals. They would be murderers. They would be guilty of an atrocity. They would all get the death penalty and they would be held responsible. And yet at the same time, you and me and everyone would understand that the great white father, Joe Biden, back east has all the power in the world and they have none so whatever's going on here, it must be something. Maybe Hillary Clinton sold the uranium out from under them and they all got cancer or something horrible like that. But there's something going on that would make them do that. Not that it would justify it, but that we need to understand what's happening on the reservation out there, that people feel they're being treated so unfairly that they would do this. And that's why this whole radical Islam thing is a cop out because it says, oh, Mohammed made him do it. When no, in the case of Al-Qaeda, it was Bill Clinton made him do it. And in the case of here, it was Benjamin Netanyahu made him do it. That's what it was. And, and I know we're so short on time, so I just want to share with you this one quote, and people can go and look at my Twitter feed. If you just Google, put my name, Scott Horton Show, in Twitter with Starter Pack, and you'll see I have this long thread of Israeli outright deliberate support for Hamas. But I'll share with you just this one quote, Jack, and this is just from 2019, and this is Netanyahu directly addressing his cabinet, okay? He says to them, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas. 
and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians in the West Bank. It is impossible to reach an agreement with them. Everyone knows this. Of course, that's the real point. But we control the height of the flame, he said. That could have been Bill Clinton talking about al-Qaeda in the 90s, right? And then so this came you, out so, just the so other let me, day. Let me summarize this. One, let me one summarize more, this. One more here from the minutes. Jerusalem oh, Post. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What, very quick. Jerusalem Post, female IDF border guard is ratting on her bosses because she warned them Hamas is up to something. Hamas is up to something. And she was told, oh, man, I just had it. Hamas are nothing but punks. They won't do anything is what she was told. So that was the attitude. Quote, Hamas is just a bunch of punks. They won't do anything. That's the correct quote. And so this is the imperial arrogance. We control the height of the flame. No, the flame just burned the whole house down. Netanyahu just let this happen. And why, again, why? He, he wants to keep Hamas in power, or wanted at least, to keep Hamas in power in Gaza, Jack, because they're the perfect little enemy. So that he can turn to you and say, Jack, you don't expect me to negotiate with these terrorists. You don't expect me to give up a Palestinian state to these bad guys. And that's why he prefers them. And he says it himself, if you want to thwart a Palestinian state, you must support this policy of bolstering Hamas. And this is all these quotes that I have is all from the Israeli press. None of them are in dispute. His finance minister said the same thing. He said, in this game of delegitimization, Hamas is an asset.